And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Nathai Gaucher. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. Very happy to have you along today, whether you downloaded this week's episode or you're listening in on Edmonton Sports Talk. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can't win friends with salad. Three Edmonton and area locations in Leduc and Spruce Grove and West Edmonton Mall. Worth making a special trip. Get out and grab some beef jerky. Your taste buds will thank me for it and let them know that the Pipeline Show sent you. There's a bunch of headlines that we could cover. Some of it will uh, be covered by guests that are coming up on the show, specifically thinking of the AJHL slash BCHL chaos that is uh, happening right now. We do have a guest that's going to join us. So I will leave that uh, subject for the guest to uh, go into greater detail. There has been one development since the conversation with the guest, which I had late Thursday night. As I'm speaking with you right now, it's noon on Friday. The Alberta Junior Hockey League put out a statement on a Friday morning, which they titled, AJHL Seeks Clarity on Conflicting Statements. Those statements would be last week's release from the BCHL that they'd come to terms with five clubs from the AJ that are going to move over to their league next season, which led the AJHL to canceling a ton of games. And those five clubs putting out a statement last night, which said, uh, hey, we're still in the league. We're happy to be in the league. We're in good standing. Canceling games is wrong. Doesn't say that they're not leaving the league for next year. Says they're not leaving the league right now. So I think their statement, carefully worded to not mention that they are intending to eventually leave the league, is uh, now being picked up by the AJHL as them saying that the whole thing is not true. Which, at this point, I think everybody knows it's true. So whatever side of this you come down on, it is, I think everybody can agree, it's a pretty big mess. But I'm going to rely on my guest to bring some clarity to the issue. That'll be in the final segment today. I'll tell you who that is momentarily. Let's get to the CHL's top 10 this week. The Baycomo Dracar regain the number one spot. The Saskatoon Blades with a loss against Red Deer drop to number two. London holds steady at three. Prince George is at four. Then you've got Saginaw, Drummondville, Everett, Kitchener, Portland, and the Royal Noranda Huskies out of the Quebec Maritime Junior Hockey League are 10th let's quickly get to the scoring races in the various leagues here's your top five out of the western hockey league coming into this weekend's play uh, jagger Furcus with 81 points uh, leads the whl in scoring he's followed by zach funk of the prince george cougars and riley height also with pg funk has 76 height has 74 points 
Kelowna Rockets forward Andrew Crystal has 33. And so does Gabe Clausen from the Portland Winterhawks. Over in the Ontario Hockey League, Anthony Romani of the North Bay Battalion now leading the OHL in scoring with 70 points. Remember, for the longest time, it was a trio of Kitchener Rangers at the top. But one of them, Hunter Brustevich, is second. Defenseman with 69 points in 45 games. Ridiculous. Then a couple of Seattle Kraken prospects. David Goyette of Sudbury, he has 68 points. Carson Rakoff of the Kitchener Rangers, he has 65 points. Both of those guys, Kraken prospects. Denver Barkey of the London Knights, drafted by Philadelphia, he has 64. That's tied with Zane Parekh. Defenseman who's draft eligible this year has 64 points as well. Out in the queue, Antonin Vero from the Huskies of Roy Naranda. He's got the most points in the league with 71. That's a five-point cushion over Justin Gill from Bay Como. Matthew Cataford of the Halifax Mooseheads has 64 points. And it's Marcus Vitacek, also from Halifax, with 58. And Israel Mianscum, whose name I probably just butchered, but he plays for the Sherwood Sherbrooke Phoenix. He also has 58 points, as does Tommy Cormier of the Tigers of Victoriaville. Oh, and uh, Robert Orr, also with 58. Now with the uh, Teton of Acadie Bathurst. Speaking of the AJHL, the uh, scoring race in the league, top four scorers are all guys who are with teams that are leaving the AJHL, allegedly. Brendan Ross of the Blackfalds Bulldogs has 72 points. Mirko Badazzoni has 71. He of the Brooks Bandits. Samuel Huck from Okotoks has 59 points, and Logan Sawyer from Brooks has 57. Dalton McGilvery of the Lloyd Bobcats, he's tied for fourth in scoring with 57 points. Now looking at the BCHL, Caden Cranston of the Surrey Eagles is the top scorer. He has 48 points, followed by Mike Murtock of the Nanaimo Clippers with 44. Nicholas Benito from Alberti Valley, he's Canadian, he's got 44 points. Aaron Schwartz from Surrey has 42, and Anthony Yu of uh, Powell River with 39. South of the border in the USHL, Dubuque Fighting Saints forward Jake Sondriel has 48 points. That's seven more than Muskegon's import Matvey Greeden. Swedish forward Eric Paulson, who plays for Dubuque. Both the Russian and the Swede have 41 points. J.J. Wiesbush from Sioux Falls has 39, and Trevor Connolly, draft-eligible player of note, he of the Tri-City Storm has 39 points. And in the null, Max Martin from the Wisconsin Windigo has 66 points. That is an 11-point lead over a 6-10 Yerno show of the uh, Northeast Generals. The, the Swedish forward has been one of the top scorers all year, but has uh, fallen out of that top spot. Matteo DiCipio and Charles Edward Tardif, both Canadian, are third and fourth with 50 and 46 points respectively, and then a tie for sixth. With Hayden Cruz from Janesville and Tyler Graham, also from Wisconsin, with 45 points. Big game in college hockey this weekend, big series. Number one ranked Boston University taking on number two ranked and arch rival Boston College. The two classic rivals have uh, a ton of drafted players on those rosters. This will be one of the most watched college hockey games of the season. Just think they could also meet in uh, the Beanpot coming up. Should be a really, really exciting series. The rest of your top 20, Wisconsin is third, Denver, followed by North Dakota, Maine, Quinnipiac, Michigan State, Minnesota, and Providence is your uh, number 10 ranked team. Massachusetts, Western Michigan, Cornell, Michigan, St. Cloud State comes in at 15, then you've got Colorado College, New Hampshire, Arizona State, RIT, and uh, ranked number 20th is 
Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish. And when it comes to leading scorers at college hockey, Massimo Rizzo, who's from BC, plays for the University of Denver. He has 42 points, drafted by Philadelphia. His teammate, Jack Devine, is next with 39 points. He's drafted by Florida. Then you have Canadian Luke Granger from Western Michigan. And uh, Gabe Perot, the New York Rangers draft pick at Boston College, they both have 34 points. The draft eligible, number one ranked prospect, Macklin Celebrini is fifth. He's at BU. He's got 32 points. He's tied with Josh Nadeau, also Canadian, from the University of Maine. And Aziv Bouillam from Denver, also draft eligible, tied with Celebrini for 32 points. Both of those guys draft eligible, both of them freshmen. Both of them having ridiculously good seasons. Hey, do you know Pro Stock Hockey? It's your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment. They've got several new Warrior pants just added to their website. If you've been waiting for a certain team's color, you may be in luck. Go to ProStockHockey.com and see what they've got in stock right now. Earlier this week, the CHL Top Prospect game was held in Moncton. Raul Boylard of the, the Baycomo Dracar. He's ranked number 34 by NHL Central Scouting in North America. Two goals and an assist in a 3-1 game for his club, Team Red. Vancouver Giants defenseman Colton Roberts also had two points. The best player in the game for most people was uh, T.J. Ginnell of the Kelowna Rockets. He was named a player of the game for Team White. I saw the first two periods of the contest. Well, about a period and a half, actually. If you saw the game... You want to pass on some uh, thoughts? Let me know. One interesting tidbit afterwards uh, came from Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet, who tweeted out, Sounds like last night's CHL top prospect game will be the final one. Look for the event to be replaced with a two-game series between the best prospects in the CHL versus the best prospects in the U.S. Didn't specify if that meant the USHL or some sort of mixture with the North American Hockey League, maybe some uh, one or two NCAA players with the national team development program be involved in that. Not sure. Uh, reached out to him. He said he's not sure yet, but that will be interesting. The other big news this week involves uh, Canada's 2018 World Junior Team and uh, that ugly incident, which may be getting closer to being fully fleshed out publicly. We're not sure. I think everybody knows there's like five... NHL players who have taken leave of absence from teams. They all happen to be on the 2018 World Junior Squad. Don't want to jump to conclusions, but it would seem like a pretty big coincidence. But that's not what the Pipeline Show is all about. Uh, Follow people like Rick Westhead and etc. to get the latest on that situation. Suffice to say, if there was criminal activity, you do the crime, you gotta pay the time. No matter who it was that was involved. And Obviously, there's a victim in the story, and the victim's well-being should be paramount. All right, with that, let's get to the guest list. All of my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. See what Troubled Monk has in inventory right now because it changes frequently. Whatever your choice, it's craft beverages worth sharing. Last night with dinner, I was enjoying an Epitaph gin. It's gin and soda. Everybody immediately thinks craft beer, but it's craft beverages. You can get Troubled Tea. They have an adequate vodka, lemon-lime beverage, which is outstanding. Other spirits like gin and vodka. Also a whiskey now available at Troubled Monk. But you can never go wrong with a delicious daycation or try a Rebel's Red. 
Lots of options for you. If your local liquor store in Alberta doesn't have it, demand they bring it in for you because it is available to them. All right, the guest list this week. Three guests. We're going to begin with an NCAA campus report. David Brown is the voice of one of the newest programs in Division I men's hockey. That would be the Augustana Vikings. What do you expect for a new program? Probably not much. Well, I think it's safe to say the Vikings have exceeded all expectations this year. We'll talk to David about how they're getting it done. Also opening a brand new facility this weekend. Pretty exciting. From there, we'll turn on the 2024 draft spotlight. We'll talk to a player who wasn't at the CHL top prospect game, despite the fact he's ranked 33rd in North America. His name is Miguel Marcus. He plays for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And as promised, we'll try to make sense of what's happening with the AJHL and the BCHL. Tim Ellis, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Camrose Kodiaks, will be our guide. All of that coming up, but we'll start with David Brown at Augustana, the play-by-play voice of the Vikings. He's up first. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Don Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross ice, center ice to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, wide spot, three feeds Holloway open, score! <laughs> what a fantastic play! Holloway, wide spot, back to Holloway. 1 1. Wow! Then you're listening to The Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, everybody! An old man's talking. All right, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and it is a NCAA campus report segment. So those, of course, brought to us by our friends at College Hockey Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, you need to know what you can and can't do that can affect your NCAA eligibility. A great resource is their website at collegehockeyinc.com or get in contact with Mike Snee or anybody over at College Hockey Inc., and they can handle any questions that you might have. Uh, this week, we're going to look at the uh, one of the newest franchises, franchises, programs in the NCAA Division I loop, and that would be the Augustana Vikings. And to uh, help me do that is the uh, play-by-play voice of the uh, Augustana Vikings. That would be David Brown from Midco Sports. Uh, David, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. I appreciate you making time like this, and I have to think from the outside looking in, this has got to be a really fun season. I don't know what your expectations were at the start of the year for this program, but uh, they are playing some terrific hockey this season. What's it like covering a, a brand new program? It's been a lot of fun, uh, and, and to your point, I think if you take kind of a preconceived notion of a first-year team expansion team, you don't expect them to do very well. You expect them to maybe get a win here or there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the University of St. Thomas a couple of years ago, I know they weren't a brand new team, but the University of St. Thomas, which is in St. Paul, Minnesota, member of the CCHA, when they moved from Division Three to Division One, I, I think their first record uh, in their first year of Division One was three and thirty-two, and so that's kind of I think what people expect from Rain. Uh, as of this week, Augustine Hockey set face Ferris State on January twenty-sixth and twenty-seventh. 
they're seven, twelve, and three. So they've had some really good wins. They've had a couple of close games. Uh, I think probably the most notable result was their fifth game in team history. Mm-hmm. They go out to Denver, who was ranked number two at the time. They tie them. They win the exhibition shootout. So they kind of treated it like a win, even though it goes in the record books as a tie. But I think that game in particular kind of let people know that this is not your average first-year team. To your point, Stonehill, the other brand-new program this year, they're 0-23. Um, so it's not a lot of fun right there uh, for, for Stonehill. Uh, but Augustana, and they're playing, they're having good results. Even games they lose, a lot of them are one-goal games. I mean, this is a team that seems to be put together a lot from transfer portal activity and uh, some new recruits coming in. But there's experience on this uh on this roster at least. So it's not like a lot of players who are all getting used to the division one level at the same time. Their head coach is obviously doing a great job. We'll talk about him as well, but having some experience at the division one level, it's got to be paying dividends for the Vikings right now. Definitely is. And to your point, they brought in 15 transfers and they had 12 freshmen. So it was a good mix of experienced guys and new guys. And oddly enough, before the start of the season, if you take the average age of guys on the team, they were actually one of the top 10 oldest teams in all CAA hockey wow. when you add it all together. So they got a lot of fifth-year guys, guys who kind of understood the assignment. You know, it's their fifth year, it's their last go-around, but they wanted to be a part of something, you know, to, to build this program, to, you know, set the foundation, set the culture uh, for years to come. You look at a guy like Arno Vachon, who's the team captain, captain this season he was a captain last year at colgate where he transferred from so if that doesn't tell you something i don't know what does but he's been a tremendous leader they have a bunch of other fifth-year guys like ryan namovsky a transfer from niagara who i think has played 150 consecutive college games you know there's a lot of good players at this level and when you only have 63 64 teams sometimes the depth gets to be too much i mean you got big 10 transfers on the team you got other transfers on the team who maybe were just looking for an opportunity and they've taken advantage of that well, it's not a surprise to see uh, a lot of Americans, some a bunch of Canadians as well, but there's at least one player from Finland, another guy from Sweden. There's an international component to this as well. Do you know what the inside story is on on how the roster came together? Uh, bits and pieces. Uh, head coach Garrett Rabowin actually played professionally in Finland, so he kind of has an idea of you know Scandinavia and Scandinavian players. So, yeah, you're right. They have a Finn player on the team, Ulu Ruika. They have some Swedes on the team, Simon Falk being one of them. But uh, he kind of knows uh, that European area very well. And then, of course, you know, some Canadians. You know, he grew up in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, which is, you know, basically, you know, North Minnesota is basically South Canada, <laughs> uh, as you well know. So, I mean, he's familiar kind of with, you know, some of the hockey hotbeds that aren't exactly in the United States. You know, that those lower tiers of Canada and over in Scandinavia. So uh, they went anywhere and everywhere to try and find guys. And I think there's... Six different countries. I don't have the roster in front of me, but I think there's six different countries, including obviously the USA, that are represented on this roster. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I think that's uh, really intriguing moving forward to see if they continue to mine Europe uh, for some some talent, not just uh, getting guys out of Canada as well uh, as the United States. You, you mentioned that uh, the, the tie with Denver. They also swept Bowling Green right before that. So, I mean, they actually started this season with a 3-2-1 and record. I don't know what expectations were, but when you start a season off that that well so early, that confidence is just got a uh, steamroll. Like you build on that, it's like a snowball rolling downhill, and it seems to have carried on. Do you see that from your perspective? I do. Uh, and what's interesting is, I literally just talked to Coach Rats here uh, just a short time ago. We do a weekly interview for our social media channels. Uh, this past weekend, they were at Arizona State, the number sixteen team in the country. 
They came away with a split. They won 5-4 on Friday, lost 3-2 on Saturday. But he said something very interesting. He said after the 5-4 victory over ASU on Friday, he's like, you know, it was a happy locker room, but it wasn't like, you know, our first win where guys are, you know, spraying water and, you know, (laughs) hipping and hollering and stuff like that. It was more of like they were happy, but they were ready to move on and focus on Saturday. And I think that's the sign of a mature team and a team that understands, like, you know, we're going to take whatever preconceived notions people have about a first-year team and and shatter them. Like, you know, we can compete with these teams, with these top-tier teams in the NCAA, and they're proving it immediately. What sort of a style of game uh, are they playing? He, uh, Coach Rabs wants his team to be fast. Uh, he wants to establish the four-check early, and, of course, that's easier said than done. One of their biggest problems this season uh, honestly, has just been gaining puck possession. I I think, if I remember the stats correctly, they're second to last among the 64 teams in face-off percentage. So simply gaining the puck has kind of been their biggest Achilles heel this season. But when they are on their P's and Q's and they gain the puck, they're extremely skilled. They make crisp passes. Uh, they're able to get some breakaways uh, You know, when they're on the penalty kill. The penalty kill uh, is one of those uh, Jekyll and Hyde type of things. They're good on the penalty kill. But the reason they know that is because they've been on the PK way too much this season. And so you're kind of seeing guys establish their roles. You're seeing guys, you know, more physical guys be on the PK. You're seeing some speedier guys on the power play. Uh, I think, you know, for as much as this team is exceeding expectations based on what you think about a first-year team, they're also still growing. You know, it's been half a season with this group together. And so they're still trying to find their way a little bit. But if they can, you know, be a little bit better in the circle and in the dots, I think that this team future-wise, not just the rest of the season, but future-wise, uh, can be very dangerous. It's kind of like an expansion roster. A lot of players who were with different programs uh, last year are all coming together, and maybe that takes a little time to, to gel. Who are the guys who are sort of emerging as the leaders, uh, not just statistically, but maybe in the in the dressing room as well, the guys that the coach can re- really rely on to uh, sort of have the pulse of the entire team? Uh, I mentioned him a little bit earlier, Arno Vachon. He's uh, the captain this season. He was a captain his senior season at Colgate. Uh, it's funny, I think back in October, like right before their first series against Wisconsin, I asked Coach Rabs, uh, you know, who's your leadership team? Are you going to name captains? Are you going to name alternates? And he wanted to wait a few games uh, to see. But he's like, but watch practice and, and watch us outside of hockey, and you will see who emerges. And you could tell that Vachon right away. He's the oldest guy on the team. He's 25. You could tell right away he was someone who played hard, who teammates listened to, and who just had that presence about him like, you know, hey, we do this this way, we do this that way. This is how we remain professional on and off the ice. And so he's really established himself, not necessarily statistically, but as an all-around leader. Uh, If you look at the actual numbers, Ryan Namowski, another kid I mentioned, he leads the team in points right now. Luke Mobley is a transfer from Clarkson. He leads the team in goals. Uh, and Brett Meerman is, is one of the freshmen. He came from a junior team out, Black Vault, Alberta. is one of yep. the newest uh, junior hockey teams up there. Uh, it's interesting because he was on the first-year Black Vault team, and now he's on this first-year Augustana team. And so he has a little bit of unique experience with being on a, on a quote-unquote expansion team. Uh, he's really emerged here over the past couple of games. But it's funny. You, you see different kids in and out. You know, some are hot one week. Some are, you know, a little cold the next week. You know, they're trying to find that consistency, but they're getting contributions from everyone. I think of the 27 players on this team, and you, you take away the three goaltenders, 19 of the 24 forwards or defensemen have scored a goal this season. So they're getting contributions from a lot of different players. Yeah, it really looks like offense by committee. And you mentioned three goaltenders on the roster. They've all played. Uh, it seems like there's a pretty healthy rotation 
between a couple of guys, but even the third has played three games this year, so everybody's getting some attention. Uh, they are. Uh, Zach Rose was the transfer from Bowling Green, and when they recruited him, he knew they were going to play Bowling Green in that first home series. And he got to start both games. He got the wins both games. So that was kind of a nice little cherry on top for Rose, who <laughs> has actually had surgery on both hips during the course of his career. So him being a fifth-year transfer, it was kind of nice to, to see him in this final season of his career get those games against Bowling Green. He kind of has to be you know, given that veteran rest every now and then. So Josh Kotai is kind of the next man up. Uh, a freshman, he's done well recently. He uh, played in that 3-2 to two loss against Arizona State on January 20th. And then Caden Hargraves, uh, I mean, he was on SportsCenter down here uh, as a, a top-10 save against Notre Dame, went sprawling on his backside to stop a Notre Dame goal from going in. So nice. there's a lot of talent in the pipes. David Brown from Midco Sports is my guest. He's the uh, voice of the Augustana Vikings in the NCAA this year. And they play out of the uh, Midco Arena. And... Uh, that's brand new, right? Is it is it's now officially open, isn't is it not? Uh the first games are this Friday and Saturday against Ferris State. Uh they had their first hockey practice on Monday. Uh and yeah, so this is kind of, this week is kind of the uh you know, there's a bunch of different events scheduled, but this is the grand opening of Midco Arena. It's right on campus and in, in kind of in the heart of campus in Sioux Falls. All right. Well, I mean that's gotta be a lot of uh, there's gotta be a lot of buzz and excitement around not just a new program now, but a, a brand new facility like that. I know it's not the biggest place in the world. It's not the Ralph Engelstad Arena, but uh, it's shiny new and uh, it's still got the new car smell. So I imagine everybody's excited to get going this weekend. Uh, they're very excited to get going. The capacity, I think, is a little over 3,000 total seats. And they play their first five home games of the year uh, at the Denny Sanford Premier Center, which is the biggest uh, arena in Sioux Falls. That holds 12,500 you know, they curtained off the upper deck, but they got sure. regularly about two to 3,000, uh, even a little bit more for the opening weekend. So you take those numbers and you put them inside a smaller arena. Uh, I think the crowds are going to be great, and I think it's going to have a real unique uh, home ice advantage for Augustana. What does having a Division One hockey program in that part of uh, the state uh, mean to not just Sioux Falls, but to South Dakota? It means a lot. Uh, it, for people who know the history of Augustana University, you know, they've been Division II forever. Uh, kind of the, the school-wide initiative or the university-wide initiative a couple of years ago, they put out, you know, one of those plans talking about their goals before the year 2030. And, you know, their stuff, you know, academically, but athletically, they wanted to become a Division I athletics institution. And so they applied to the Summit League a couple of years ago. The Summit League is, you know, a mid-major conference in Division I here in the U.S., uh, South Dakota State, which is in Brookings, South Dakota, about 45 minutes north of Sioux Falls, and the University of South Dakota in Vermilion, which is about an hour south of Sioux Falls. They're both members of the Summit League. They're the only other Division One institutions in the state. So Augustana wanted to be a part of that. Unfortunately for them, the Summit League denied their application during the COVID year. You know, there was a lot of stuff happening, obviously. It just mm -hmm. wasn't the right time. And so Division One hockey kind of became the pivot for Augustana, to become a Division One program. I think eventually they do want to become Division One in all sports, but right now the focus is specifically on hockey. Uh, Denny Sanford, who's a philanthropist in the area, uh, his lead gift kind of started the program, got the ball rolling, so to speak, and it's been hockey, hockey, hockey here. A lot of people are excited, you know, building this team, building the arena literally, and just building the program in general. Is there a natural rival for Augustana when it comes to hockey? 
It, it will become one. Uh, Minnesota State in Mankato, because they're rivals in their Division II conference, the NSIC. Okay. Uh, they're rivals in basketball and baseball uh, in that conference. That's been a long-standing rivalry. And I think they'll eventually establish one with the University of St. Thomas uh, in the Twin Cities. I think those are, are ones to say. Uh, Bemidji State which is a member of the CCHA, is also a member of Augustana's Division II Conference and other sports, NSIC. Uh, but I think Minnesota State is probably going to be the one that develops the quickest just because you know there's a, there's a good animosity between those two programs and other sports. And they met for the first time in Division I a couple weeks ago. Uh, there was a tie on Friday night. Uh, Augie won the shootout and then a close 2-1 to loss for Augustana on Saturday night. And You could kind of already feel the tension on the ice, and uh, it, it's nothing but great news for people in Sioux Falls who kind of want Augustana to reestablish those rivalries, not just at the D2 level, but the D1 level as well. Uh, David, tell me about uh, head coach Garrett Raboyne. He's uh, coming back from Sweden uh, recently with a uh, shiny new gold medal, having been on the uh, bench staff for the United States at the uh, U20 World Junior Hockey Championship. Uh, and uh, as a first-year head coach, I don't know what expectations were for, for him or for the program, but the success this year it's it's re- quite remarkable, and I, I'm, it, it just seems like everything's been really positive, and it's got to start with the head coach, doesn't it? He was a fantastic hire. They hired him in April of 2022, you know, a full year and a half before they actually started playing games because, right. well, you got to recruit a team and, and get some guys here. Uh, but what makes his story unique is he was a walk-on at St. Cloud State, and he eventually became a captain. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of has that unique ability to connect with, you know, the walk-ons on the team and also some of the more experienced veteran players because he's been at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, and then he's been a team captain. So he proved himself as a player at St. Cloud, played overseas in Finland professionally for a couple of years, then came back and started his coaching career under Bob Osco at St. Cloud State. And then he moved with Bob to the University of Minnesota when Bob got the Gophers head coaching job. And so he spent eight years as an assistant. He's still a young guy. He's in his upper 30s. And he is absolutely the perfect person to lead this program because he has the experience of a couple of big programs, can relate to different players and their needs, and he's just assembled a good staff around him as well. Just a lot of young and hungry assistant coaches who all know what they signed up for, who all know the purpose. And and he said this to me a couple of weeks ago, and, and I'll provide context. He said, you know, it's not about the wins and losses right now. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean he doesn't care about the wins and losses, right. but he understood and understands the bigger picture. You know, we're building something here. Wins and losses are great right now, but we're trying to, cliche as it is, establish a foundation, establish a culture, and make this a positive place and a place that kids want to go to. It's funny you mentioned that because I was going to ask if I'd put the question to you back in September how you would determine if it's a successful year or not because, you know, wins and losses we would have expected would have been tough to come by where you put that bar for success, how to judge if it's a successful year or not. At this point, you'd have to say it's a successful season and there's still, you know, a solid month and a half of, of hockey to go. You know, if they had a, a checklist of things they wanted to accomplish this year, what's left? Uh, opening the new building, I guess would probably be the, the last thing on the checklist. You know, I don't think there's a specific win or loss goal. I think it was just, you know, be competitive, be respectable and I go back, honestly, to their very first series ever. Their first two games were at Wisconsin. They lost one 4 to nothing, and they lost the second game 3 to nothing. Sure. So they got swept, and they didn't score a goal in their first road series. And I came back to the office, and you know, some people were asking, you know, oh, it's kind of a rough start. And I said, well, watch the games. And, and you know, I was there. I watched both games very closely. 
Like, they competed hard, and Wisconsin's a top-10 team in the country, and they belonged on that ice, plain and simple. I don't care that they didn't score a goal. They belonged on that, on that ice. They looked like a Division One team. And so even though they lost both those games, I came out of that series thinking, you know what, they're going to be okay. It, this, this wasn't a case where they got embarrassed. This wasn't a case where they clearly didn't belong. No, they looked like a legitimate Division One hockey team. And that 4 nothing loss, by the way, their very first game ever, that's the most they've ever lost by. It's, that's the, the four-goal deficit. Every other game has been closer than that, So whether it's been a win or a loss. So they have not been embarrassed in every game. To your point a little bit earlier, they've been in a lot of games. I think they've played 22 so far, and I think they've been tied or had the lead in 15 of those 22. Wow, that's remarkable. And uh, the immediate schedule, Fair State this weekend uh, to open the new building, then on the road against Bemidji, St. Thomas, another home series uh, coming up in mid-February, and then uh, you got both programs from Alaska to close things out this year. Lots of exciting hockey to get to. Uh, David, I hope you don't mind if I call you again down the road because it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, please keep me in mind for the future. Would love to continue talking hockey with you and uh, appreciate you having me on. Here's David Brown, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Augustana Vikings. First year in the NCAA Division One for the uh, Vikings, but uh, having a terrific season, I think it's fair to say they've exceeded expectations to this point. Now it's just about finishing strong and building on that for the future. Still to come on this week's episode, Michael Menzies, the voice of the Bonneville Pontiacs, will join us to talk about, well, a fairly chaotic week in the Alberta Junior Hockey League with five programs set to join the BCHL next year. What does that mean for the AJ moving forward? We'll get the latest from Michael on that. Have calls out to a couple of teams looking for draft-eligible players this year, including, I'll mention one because I think it's going to happen, Miguel Marcus from the Lethbridge Hurricanes, who should be at the CHL Top Prospect game this week, but isn't. Expect to have a conversation with him coming up a little bit later. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Pashnik with a fake shot, and he goes the other way, spinning a couple more spins, two or three of them. Princeton Pashnik. Pashnik with a shot, he scores! Far down! Princeton Pashnik, are you serious? Hey, it's Princeton Pashnik from the Arizona State Sun Devils, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. is lonely. Yeah. So Trevor threw a big party and served salad. Nobody came. Mike is also lonely. Yeah, it sucks, man. So Mike threw a big party and served Wilhawk beef jerky. Go Wilhawk! Go Wilhawk! Everybody came! Wilhawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Wilhawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc's Bruce Grove and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Uh, he fights like an old lady. We are back on the Pipeline Show, and we are going to turn on the 2024 draft spotlight and get to know another player who is uh, eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. Quick reminder: the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Three Edmonton and area locations, but if you're in Western Canada, just go to WilhockBeefJerky.com. Any order, any size, they will ship it to you. Anywhere in Western Canada. All right, we are going to turn on the uh, draft spotlight and get to know a uh, the well the top scorer right now for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. That is Miguel Marcus. Uh, Miguel, welcome to the program. How are you? 
I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. A pleasure to get a chance to speak with you uh, this week. And uh, quite honestly, I wasn't sure I would be able to speak with you this week because uh, <laughs> between you and I, we're talking on Wednesday. Uh, there's a game going on in Moncton that uh, personally I think you should be at. That would be the CHL Top Prospect game. Uh, and I'm sure you would like to be there right now. But since you're not, yeah. that frees you up to be on uh, on my little show. So I appreciate that. But uh, it's kind of a, I'm, I'm sure you're bummed out not being able to go to Moncton right now with uh, a lot of the other top guys from the dub. Yeah, I know for sure. Obviously, I want to be a key guy and the top prospect in this upcoming draft. And, and not being there is kind of kind of gave me a little bit of motivation for the, for the second half of the season. Obviously, yeah. every player wants to be there. It'd be a pretty cool experience to be there with, with a lot of the top guys and share that with them. But since I'm not, I just got to make the most of it. All right, well, let's talk about what has been going on for you and for the Hurricanes lately and uh, some pretty good hockey. Uh, you've won six of your last ten, uh, moving your way uh, up the standings. And currently the team's sitting in seventh, but... You know, I don't know if fourth place and home ice in the first round, I'm sure that's the goal. I don't know if it's realistic. Only, uh, I mean, there's 10 points separating you and fourth right now. And uh, we're getting down to uh, about a third of the season uh, left to go. What's the mood like? The mood around the team right now, though, uh, getting into the uh, stretch drive to the playoffs? Yeah, I know, for sure. Um, obviously, we have our full team now after the deadline. and We've, we've added some key pieces that are, that are going to help us strive to get some wins here. And, and they've been doing, doing a great job so far, obviously. Shergal and, like, Sidor, both key twenty-year-old forwards that have had experience going to the Memorial Cup last year was Sid, and then Shig has been the top scorer on his team for a while now. So they're both pretty good players. But yeah, we just we have a good coach too. He's got good systems in place. We got we got good staff, so everything's kind of gelling in the right right momentum, and everything's kind of heading in that direction. Obviously, like you said, fourth place home ice advantage is the goal, and we've been playing some pretty good hockey, so we just got to keep playing that way. Well, when new guys come to the team like this, and this is, I mean, right at the trade deadline, you're getting Chagall and, and uh, Dylan Sador and, and Hayden Bacala as well. I don't know if he's played a whole lot for you guys uh, just yet. I think he was in and out of the lineup when he was in PA. Yeah. But getting new guys into the dressing room, what does that do? I mean, it kind of from the outside looking in, I would have to think it probably uh, kickstarts the team a little bit and just changes the, 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 the mix uh, in the room. Um, but on the ice, how do you make sure that there's chemistry between uh, the the established team and the new guys coming in? Yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's a little bit of confusion at the start for the new guys coming in. Obviously, it's new systems, new team, new teammates, and everything like that. But but they're all pretty smart players. They all play hard. They all play the right way. And and like I said, they're pretty smart. So so it's pretty easy and to play with them. Obviously, I'm on the line with Shag. He he's been awesome to play with. And then Sid too mixed in. So mm-hmm. it's been pretty easy that way. But yeah. They're great players, too, and they're going to help out a lot. Well, and for you personally this year, heck of a season. Uh, leading the team in scoring, 51 points in just 43 games. 19 of those are goals. Uh, by far your best season. And, I mean, you're more than double your production last year. Yeah. What's changed for you? No, I think uh, coming into this year, my draft season, obviously, I just didn't need to have a good summer after last year. And, and I did that. I had I worked really hard in the gym and on the ice in the summer. I had a great program down at the Delta Hockey Academy. And then, yeah, just coming here to camp ready to go, making sure I was sort of stronger and faster, and I feel like I've done that. But then coming back, I played with some pretty good line mates, obviously, that have mm-hmm. had some success, too, that have that have helped me out, and we've been gelling well together, too. So it's not just me. It's a lot of them and my coaches, too. Well, the point production is there for you. Uh, when I look at the team, not a whole lot of offense. 140 goals for right now, as you and I are speaking right now, which is kind of on the lower end. Uh, in the WHL, but yeah. the team doesn't allow a whole lot of goals, and that's obviously yeah. a recipe for success. Uh, do you feel like the team has a focus more? Is it a defense-first sort of strategy, or is it, uh, I don't know, how do you how do you look at it? 
Yeah, I think compared to last year, I feel like we've been scoring scoring quite a bit more. Obviously, we've we've had a lot more games where we've put the puck in the net, but but um, yeah, we we we're a hard team to play against. Obviously, we're big. We we play hard, and that's kind of our identity. So so yeah, we we keep the puck out of our net. We don't play we don't play too as offensive as other teams, I'd say. But but it's definitely kind of a goal of ours to get better at. And obviously, we already have our defensive side pretty nailed down. We got to keep working on that too and perfect that part. But but yeah, I think we're more of our identity is more hard and fast, and then it's more skilled. Yeah, you got a big defensive core, and uh, in in my estimation, one of the best, if not the best, goaltender in the Eastern Conference uh, yeah. with uh, Harrison Manigan. So that just, I yeah. mean, that kind of frees you guys up to focus uh, up front a little bit more on the offense, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, Harry Harry, I think is the best goalie in the league. Um, yeah, he he's playing really good hockey. I think he'll get drafted this year too. But yeah, he's been he's a superstar for us. He's probably our most valuable player, I'd say, mm. keeping us in the games all the time. We have a lot of trust in him. If we make a mistake and there's an odd man rush, we know he's there to bail us out here and there. So, so yeah, it's super comfortable playing with him in the net. Miguel Marcus is my guest uh, forward with the uh, Lethbridge Hurricanes out of the Western Hockey League. And uh, Miguel, this is uh, the the Pipeline Show is a junior and college hockey show. As I told you, I did color for the Oil Kings, so I. I'm certainly familiar with you and, and the team, but there'll be casual NHL fans who listen to this segment uh, and might not care at all about junior hockey, but because you're a draft-eligible player, they'll have some interest in, in learning more about you. For that segment of the population or the uh, that segment of the audience, uh, maybe let's get some background. Um, where are you from? I'm from Prince George, British Columbia. All right. And how, how long did you live there before moving away and, and continuing your hockey? Uh, pretty much. Well, I was born in Winnipeg, but I moved to Prince George probably when I was around like two or three. I was too young to remember. Okay. But so yeah, I grew up there pretty much my whole life until second year Bantam is when I moved away to an hockey academy, which is kind of tough moving away from the family for the first time. But it was a super positive experience at St. George's. Right. And then from there, I was kind of the next year I was midget, so I moved away again, played at the Delta Hockey Academy, which I was very fortunate to do that. It's a hell of a program and. It, helped me get a lot better over that year and then yeah the year after that we got drafted or I guess it was that Christmas we got drafted right (laughs) that winter but but yeah but then the year after that I was here in my 16 year old season who got you into hockey at a young age do you remember how old you started playing yeah I think I was around three or four it was kind of just like my cousin was kind of playing hockey and then my uncle kind of just said do you want to do you want to try it out and and play with them and then he was kind of coaching a little bit too so he kind of threw me out there my dad my dad was a big part of that too so that was super special all right well you're a forward uh now at least have you always been a forward did you ever try the blue line or heck throw the pads on yeah i used to love playing goalie back in like minor hockey when you could like play everything sure so i was, I was always trying to be goalie and and actually i was a d-man growing up until probably uh adam i'd say adam or peewee okay. i kind of switched to forward but yeah, I kind of grew up playing everything. What led you to making the switch to, well, let, maybe first off, why didn't you stick being a goalie if that's what you loved? I don't know. I didn't want to take too many pucks off the head. <laughs> Lots of goalies are, they're kind of wired differently. Yes. Especially, especially Harry. So, <laughs> so I guess being a goalie would have led to that. No, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like scoring goals and stuff like that as, as much as preventing them. And like, as a young kid, obviously, like, I'd play everything, and that's what every kid does. And goalie is kind of just fun because you wouldn't play it every night, so it's kind of a sweat job. But right. I think I'd always like stuck to being a forward or a player. Well, the sheet I'm looking at just says F for forward. It doesn't tell me if you're on the wing or in the middle. Uh, do you find yourself uh, all over the place? Where, where, where's the most comfort level? I'm on the wing. Both wings are fine. Okay, I can play center, 
center if I needed to, but yeah, I'm probably more comfortable on the wings. After you moved from St. George to Delta, what a what a season! 116 points in 31 games. I don't know, no goaltenders allowed in that league that year, or what? I mean, those <laughs> those are huge numbers. Yeah, I know. Obviously, you probably know Tomas Mercik and Jordan Gavin from Med Hot and Tri City, of course. Yeah, so I I was on the line with those two, and those two are all the <laughs> hockey players, obviously. So so we kind of we kind of had our fun in that league. We ended up winning that league, but we had guys like Kane Lynch from two on that team. Like we were pretty pretty stacked. So yeah, we blew some teams out here and there, and kind of picked up some points on those nights. But no, it's fun. We had good, like I said, good program and stuff that allowed us to get better every day. So it's super sweet to be a part of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a heck of a team. Uh, that same year, you did get into ten games with the Hurricanes, and I'm wondering if that you know dipping your toe into the water and getting the the feel for the WHL, even if it's just ten games, how much that helped you last year for your first full year in the league. Yeah, I know. Coming into Lethbridge, I played a day after the draft, which is pretty pretty scary. But I wow. felt like I I had some chances, and like I played pretty good that game. So it kind of just like made me feel more comfortable as I went back to my midget year, mm-hmm. which then kind of like allowed me to just play more confident. And then when I was called up here and there, I was, I had my confidence as like an all time high, probably <laughs> like I was feeling pretty good and stuff. So then, yeah, I finished that season off pretty good with, with my line mates again, like we we're pretty good. And then coming into the summer, I know what I needed to do to get stronger and faster, obviously knowing that it was harder just because everyone's bigger and older. Right. But then, yeah, coming back, I was pretty confident again because I've already played 10 games in the league where I know where what it's like. And, and then playing the four playoff games against Edmonton, that super team that, like, I know that's a really good hockey team and that's probably one of the better ones that's come out of this league. It's kind of, yeah. it's tough. So I just kind of knew that and knew what I needed to prepare to get better coming into my 16-year-old season. Miguel Marcus, uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. The sheet I'm looking at, the WHL's website, lists you at 5'11". 172 pounds. Now, I don't know if that was at the start of the year, if it's changed at all. Uh, just update us. What are you at right now? I'd say at the start of the year when that came out, I was actually 5'10". I moved up to 5'11". <laughs> now, we measured a couple of days ago. But yeah, I'm 5'10", like one seven or 5'11", or 175. All right, so you might still be growing a little bit if it's changed since the start yeah. of the year. Uh, what about weight-wise? Do you feel like you need to put on more weight, or is that something that just comes naturally as you get you know, 19, 20, 22 years old? Yeah, I think it comes naturally, but I think one of my biggest keys is to get stronger, obviously, in the gym and, and keep working at that part. So, yeah, I want to put on a few more pounds of muscle so I'm not as easy to knock off the puck and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, Miguel, uh, a lot of guys, when I talk to them on this show about the draft, some guys don't really want to think about it a whole lot. They don't want to be distracted by it, and, and it gets them off their game. There are other guys, and I would suggest maybe a growing number of players who – Tell me that they, they might even Google themselves to find out who's got them ranked where and things like that. Uh, which of those two are you more like? Yeah, I, I try not to worry about it a lot. Obviously, it's kind of a big year for that, and it's something I've wanted to do ever since I was a little kid. I wanted to play in the NHL, so hmm. so it's kind of out there, and I know it is, and I know people come watch our games and stuff like that, but I feel like I'm better if I just don't worry about it too much and just focus on myself and play my game. So when you see people that have you like maybe in the 30s or something like that, I mean, Central Scouting has you 33rd in North America. It's another question mark why you're not at the top prospect game tonight. But <laughs> when when the rankings come out, you kind of ignore them or do you, you kind of mention that not being in Moncton right now is a little bit extra, some logs on the fire there for you uh, in terms of motivation. So you kind of keep that as kind of gas for the tank? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, Every player probably looks at the rankings when they come out, right? Like especially the central scouting ones. So, so I have a look here and there. Like I'll, 
I'll see when it first comes out, but it's not something I look into too much. Obviously the NHL scouts have their own like opinions and, and differences. So, so it's kind of just up to them in the end, not, not all these other ranking opinions. Well, for you and some of the other guys that uh, are on your team, same age that are also draft eligible this year. You also mentioned Harrison Manigan, who's been passed over. Uh, yeah. once or maybe even twice at this point. I'm <laughs> surprising, but is the draft something you guys ever talk about or do you, is that almost like a taboo subject? No, I feel like we talk about it here and there, just kind of like the other players too, because we all have buddies that like, like for example, we have a guy from Saskatoon who talks about like Burton Cat and like kind of what it's like for him. We've right. kind of just had like discussions about other players and stuff. So the drafts come up a few times, but, but nothing too much like about ourselves or anything. Like that. We're, we're not too worried about that or focusing on that too much. Okay. Uh, for those of us, uh, well, not us, I, I certainly have seen you play lots, but for people <laughs> that are listening right now who have never seen you play, can you give them a self-scouting report to describe sort of what style of player you are? Yeah, no, I think I'm I'm a fast winger who's got good hockey IQ and playmaking abilities, obviously. I like to create off the rush and just use my teammates as much as I can. But I can also found this year that I can put the puck in the back of the net. Mm. <laughs> so, so I've been scoring a lot more than I did last year. It's been awesome, but I, yeah, I feel like I'm a fast winger with lots of skill. I can make plays. Why do you think you're scoring more this year than last year? Did you do something different, or is it just I don't know another year under your belt and you know, have a little bit more confidence? Yeah, I've, I haven't really done anything much different. Just had a good summer, obviously, and this year I find that I'm getting to the net a little bit more, and there's a lot of rebounds sitting there that I can tap in here and there, which is I found out a lot of fun. So yeah. I just got to stick to that. Uh, Miguel, what uh, away from uh, hockey, like say in the off season? Uh, I don't know if you go back to Prince George or are you living somewhere else now. What do you kind of do to unwind? No, I, I move away to Vancouver, obviously to train again at that Delta program. They have, they've run it really good, so, okay. so they kind of allowed me to just get better every year, and that's kind of what I was stuck to. But yeah, that's pretty much it. But to relax, I know some guys are like big golfers or I don't know hunters or fishermen or whatever. Like in Vancouver, what do you do when it's not hockey that you're doing? How do you relax or just hang out with buddies or what do you do? Yeah, so I, I build it with the Mercics actually. So so oh. it's pretty fun with them. They've got a they got three brothers and then one little sister, so so it's pretty sweet. But yeah, golf's a big one. We kinda just like play soccer, football in the backyard too. I kinda just get outdoors a lot, go to the beach, things like that. Well, it's it's really interesting because you mentioned Thomas Mercic a few times now. He plays for the Medicine Hat Tigers, and for people who aren't you know big followers of the WHL, <laughs> it's a huge rivalry between Lethbridge and, yeah. and Med Hat. What are you separated by? I don't know, forty five minutes or something like that. Yes, um, that yeah. must like when you're going up against a really good buddy on a rival team. That must be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, for sure. It's fun going against your buddies, like even buddies on other teams and stuff like that. No, it's super fun being being able to play against them and compete against them because you want to get the best of them every time kind of thing. And, and it pushes each other to just get better and, and play the best they can. Well, and Lindstrom's on that team. You said you guys were teammates uh, back at yeah. Delta as well. And uh, he's up from up north in Chetwin or something like that. So did you guys uh, yeah. cross paths as kids? Yeah, for sure. I played against him a few times growing up, whether it was in spring hockey or just like minor hockey. We played, we played, he played for Fort St. John. So we played down right. quite a bit, but, but yeah, no, it was super fun growing up playing against him and, Kind of getting to meet him as a, as a young kid and then crossing paths again at the Delta Academy is super cool. Well, Miguel, before I let you go, did you have a favorite NHL team growing up or are you one of those guys who cheers more for individual players than teams? No, I think I've been a Canucks fan since I'm from BC. It's kind of the closest thing to me. And my dad's kind of been a Canucks fan his whole life too. He's at those 2010-11 riots. 
so <laughs> I think I kind of just got passed on from him. Wow. So is it tough to be a Canucks fan in Southern Alberta? Uh, not too much, no. <laughs> not this year, I, eh? Not this I year. <laughs> no, not this year at all, actually. It's more of the Flames and the Oilers that, that have taken it. But, yeah, no, it's it's obviously there's people that like the Flames and stuff on my team and just in the organization, like Oilers like that. I should give them a hard time this year because yeah. the Canucks haven't done too well the past couple of years. But, but this year, I think they're going to win the Cup anyway. So All right. Well, hey, Dustin Forbes big Canuck fan too, isn't he? Yeah, Forbes, he's a big Canucks fan. All right. Awesome. Well, Miguel, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way this season with the Hurricanes. Whatever happens at the draft, uh, I'm sure uh, we'll we'll cross paths again, and, uh, and it'll be great to talk to you then. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was Miguel Marcus of the Lethbridge Hurricanes, who, again, I think should have been at the top prospect game, uh, but wasn't. And I'm sure there are players from every league that uh, people think probably could have been there that uh, were excluded this year. You can only take 40 guys, but considering he's ranked 33rd in North America by Central Scouting, to me, that was a uh, an oversight. We have one more segment to go this week on the program. Uh, last segment, I mentioned that it would be Michael Menzies, the voice of the Bonneville Pontiacs. Uh, unfortunately, he's not able to uh, join me now. I do have uh, feelers out for someone else that can come on the show and explain all of the AJHL slash BCHL stuff to us because it's uh, it seems to be a very fluid situation, uh, things changing all the time, and I need someone to explain everything to me. So when we come back, hopefully I've found someone to do that. If not, we'll wrap up the show and kind of go over what's the latest in that situation and some other stuff get you set for the weekend. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is Drew Doughty of the Guelph Storm. Storm on the power play here. Teed up by Doughty, scores! Hat-trick goal for Drew Doughty, 4-0 Guelph Storm. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. Kings are Edmonton's first choice for family fun. Your Edmonton Oil Kings are back in the thick of it, taking the WHL by storm. And you can be right there cheering them on. Great family entertainment starts at just $20 a seat or never miss a game with season seats as low as $9 per game. Thrilling Western Hockey League action, amazing theme nights, and special price kids food combos at every home game for $10 or less. The entertainment value is king-sized. Secure your seat for the next action-packed, exciting Oil Kings home game today at oilkings.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh yeah, the cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Final segment to go on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, and uh, it's a big one. We're going to uh, be weighing into some uh, some different waters uh, this week here on the program. The uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League uh, dealt a blow with uh, five of its biggest teams, announcing that they are uh, leaving the league in time for next season. Uh, going to the BCHL and uh, the the league itself uh, responding and in, uh, well, not too kind of a way. Uh, to go over all of this is the uh, longtime voice of the Camrose Kodiaks. That's Tim Ellis. Uh, Tim, 
Welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm uh, good tonight. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for trying to trying to find a, a solution to get through all this. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. We're <laughs> we're fighting a solution. We're uh, we're getting uh, we're reaching yeah. a world peace here. Uh, that's what we're doing tonight. <laughs> Listen, for, let, we got to start at the beginning for the uh, the the portion of the audience that might be tuning in right now and has no idea what we're talking about. Can you give us a Coles Notes version? Uh, the last couple of weeks, what the heck is going on? Well, what I can tell you, and, and uh, dealing in facts, the, the, the facts are that January 19th, I believe it was, uh, there was a, a tweet post or X post, whatever you call it, uh, alluding to the fact that uh, there was the possibility that five AJHL teams, and, and they were named the, the Brooks Bandits, the Okotoks Soilers, Sherwood Park Crusaders, Spruce Grove Saints, and the Black Falls Bulldogs, were intending to leave the Alberta Junior Hockey League for the BCHL. Uh, the next day, during its its All-Star weekend, the BCHL put out a, a statement, and it uh, basically said that they had come to an agreement with those same five teams uh, for the 2023-2024-25 season. Mm-hmm. Now, that was basically it as far as from the BCHL. So when they say they reached an agreement, I mean, that's, that's kind of muddy water. So what... What does that mean? Does it mean anything is signed? Does it mean it's an actual commitment? Does it mean they were just talking? No, that that's the one part we don't really know. And, and depending on which source I talk to, uh, it, it can be different. So, But that, that was the facts. And then uh, basically that same day, I think it was the 20th that night, perhaps the Alberta Junior Hockey League uh, made a, a brief statement themselves and announced that uh, they were looking into this situation and that they had canceled uh, a number of games on Saturday and then Sunday as well, involving these five teams against teams that were still part of the other 11. They were still part of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And then the next, uh, starting the next week, they canceled some games Tuesday, Wednesday, and then, of course, earlier today came out and said that they were canceling the rest of the games involving those teams and teams not leaving for the BCHL. And that's... Uh, that's kind of where we're at. And then just uh, tonight, these five teams have now uh, made their statement. And uh, they've said that they remain members of the Alberta Junior Hockey League and Canadian Junior Hockey League and Hockey Alberta and Canada in good standing. And that they don't agree with what the Alberta Junior Hockey League has done. And they're trying to uh, come up with a, a positive solution. So that's uh, that's the very latest that uh, that we have right now. So I would say, what happens next now, Tim? But God, does anybody know what happens next? I, I don't know. I, I've been trying to guess along the way what might happen. Uh, it's put the Alberta Junior Hockey League in, in a, a very untenable position. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know what, what they do. Um, and it's, it's led to speculation. Number one, this leak, we believe came from BC. Now, Mm -hmm. did it come from a team? Did it come from an individual? Did it come from the league itself? Was it intentional? Was it unintentional? Those are things we don't know, and there's all kinds of speculation, but we do know what it has done is put the Alberta Junior Hockey League on its heels. And, I I mean, let's let's face it, there there have been rumblings about this. I I think the Brooks Bandits have, have probably wanted to leave for maybe many years, just to a competitive standpoint. And I think uh, some of those other teams within those five have, have probably had talks and, and were considering leaving. But if anything was going to be done, it was likely at the end of this season, after the Centennial Cup, and somehow this got leaked, like we say, either intentionally, unintentionally. 
left the AJHL in this spot because I've looked through bylaws and I don't think these teams have done anything that goes against an actual bylaw. So right. I assume we've got lawyers combing through this to see what can be done. And I think maybe that we've got to a point now where the AGHL says, okay, we know this can be done. What's our next step? And I don't know when that's going to happen or what it might be. Well, yeah, moving forward now, if, if in fact they are able to cancel the games, if the league is able to basically punish these five teams for this, uh, this, uh, however they're perceiving it, I don't know if they're insulted or if whatever it is, I mean, I'm looking at like Spruce Grove, for example. I think they've got 14, 15 games left. None of them are against yes. other teams that are leaving the league. So would they just be done for the yep. year? I guess as of right now, that's, that's my assumption is that the Spruce Grove Saints are, are finished because they don't play any of those other five teams, which seems odd. And then for the other 11 teams, okay, what, what do you do? Yeah. So now, do you count all of those games that were already played? The Alberta Junior Hockey League has said that those games were played under sanction. So I assume that means they're being counted, but then you're going to have a really unbalanced schedule. And then what do you do with these teams? Let's take the Canmore Eagles, for instance. They've, uh, they've lost now six home dates the rest of the way. Right. They are having a great season attendance-wise. They're averaging... Over a, well, about a hundred more fans per game this season. It's a, it's a great season for them, but if they lose six home dates at that average, that's over fifty one thousand dollars just in ticket revenue they're mm-hmm. losing, not including beer revenue, concession, whatever money they get. Well, that's that's a pretty big hit for an Alberta Junior Hockey League team. <laughs> you know that that's make or break it. Like, right. There were teams in this league that are not making near that much at the end of the season trying to hang on so it's like what does the AJHL do to compensate those teams so I I really honestly don't know what the next step is but I think there has to be a next step and and now with this these five teams now seemingly banding together and saying we don't agree with this and we're going to push back a little I think we've got some real drama coming up. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Tim Ellis, the voice of the Camrose uh, Kodiaks, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Tim, I get it from a league perspective in one regard that it doesn't look good. I mean, these are four of the top teams in the league. In fact, the top four plus uh, Spruce Grove, who is usually in the top. And one of them is probably going to win the league championship this year because it seems like it's always one of those four teams or probably one of Brooks or, or Spruce Grove. And then for them to leave, basically, with your championship title around their waist, um, it's not a good look. But at the same time, canceling all these games, that's hurting the kids, isn't it? They're hurting the players. Well, it, it is, and that's what I mean by the AJHL's in a tough position because, uh, let's face it, if, if, if you're the commissioner of this AJHL, I mean, I would have to think, and I'm not speaking for Ryan Bartoshi, but the last thing you want to do is go to center ice at yeah. the uh, CRA in Brooks and present them with the championship trophy, and everyone in the world knows that they're leaving your league. And and for whatever reason, I, I assume it's it's because of recruiting. I think that's the main reason, because of, of the way the recruiting is done under Hockey Canada, and because the BCHL is a non-sanctioned league, that opens up the recruiting. Although I, I've been doing some research, I don't fully understand how that benefits these teams. But, I mean, that... I don't think you can have that as a league. The, the other thing is just the optics of this. It comes after January 10th trade deadline. Mm-hmm. So not saying anything has happened. I, I have no idea. I have no clue what's going on. But 
the optics are not good in what some of these teams may or may not have been telling players coming into their organization or from other organizations. So from a, from an integrity standpoint, I can see why the AJHL is, is trying to take a bit of a stand because the, that could be, and whether it is or not, I have no idea, but the optics of that are, are bad. So if, if this has been going on, and, and believe me, that just didn't happen January 19th that they come to an agreement. This, obviously, there's been talks well ahead of this, maybe for years, maybe, who knows. Um, so it, it just does not look good, and I think the AJHL is trying to tiptoe and step and, and try to do the right thing, but I, I don't know if there is a right thing. I, I really don't. When it comes to recruiting, you got to hold my hand and walk me through this because I'm looking at the rosters. Uh, I, I see the Brooks Bandits. They've got like seven kids from Alberta. I don't know how many are starters or not. They're playing by the same rules as everybody else, as far as I know. Okotoks, to their credit, I think they got like 26 kids from Alberta on their team. They're still one of the best teams in the league and perennially so. Uh, Spruce Grove's got like 19, 20 uh, guys from Alberta. So it's not like all of these teams are suddenly going to go to BC, to the BCHL. It's not like they're physically leaving, uh, the, the rinks they play in. But, uh, I mean, Brooks is already mostly non-Albertans, but does Okotoks suddenly just get swamped full of Americans and, and Europeans? I, I don't know. Well, and this is the hard part to understand. So, so in the BCHL, again, non-sanctioned league, but you have to have a minimum of five British Columbia players. Okay. So that, that's number one, five BC. You, you can then have a maximum of two from outside North America, European and, and, and that. But the BCHL, while they have that, don't really have that much representation from Europe. Because, I mean, Europe now has is, is had such strong programs that not many need to come over here. The, the biggest thing I think during my research is that under Hockey Canada, to recruit a 17 or 16-year-old to your program, they have to be within your province. Right. So being a non-sanctioned league, now BC can go anywhere to find the best 16 and 17-year-olds. But, I mean, you look, you mentioned Brooks, for instance. They have three 17-year-olds on their roster right now, and Logan Sawyer, who's from Calgary, Nathan Free, who's from Calgary. Sawyer's likely going to, or likely would have won Rookie of the Year in the AJHL. Nathan Free is an awesome talent. And Matthew Tyfair, a 17-year-old defenseman who went to the World Junior A Challenge, he's a Quebec kid, but residency rules can be, um, I, I don't know what the word is for, but he, he's got an Alberta address, so he's playing in Brooks. So you've got three of the top 17-year-olds. Spruce Grove, uh, sorry, Sherwood Park, number two in the league, they're doing it because of their 16- and 17-year-olds. they got three 17-year-olds, Ryan Zaramber, Brock Such, Ethan Murner, and Kale Dock, who's a 16-year-old. That's the, Those are the you know four of their top probably six players on their team. That's mm-hmm. what they're winning with. Okotoks, Recruits from Calgary. They've got 15 Calgary kids on. They're, they get the best of Calgary. Uh, Sam Huck, who was going to win the MVP award likely this year, uh, Jagger Tapper, Jackson Rowland, they're, they're 18 now or 19 now, but they were 17 years old when Okadokes recruited those. So, and, they, and they've got a pretty good crop of 17-year-olds now. So that's the one part where I don't really understand if that's the main reason you're leaving You've already got a heck of a crop of 17-year-olds. Now, Black Falls doesn't. They have seven Alberta kids, and they don't have any 17-year-olds. So hmm. maybe I can see it from that point. As first girls got Tail Pizzani, 17-year-old, right on their, their doorstep. So it, it just I, I, I just can't quite get my head around how 
big of a difference it's going to make to go to the BCHL when you've already recruited some of the best 17-year-olds right in your own backyard. If there was a way for the BCHL and uh, these five AJ teams and Hockey Canada to, to come together and solve the situation, would it come down to that the, the uh, being able to recruit from across the country uh, without having to for the kids or their, one of their parents to move all the way across the country and, and take up actual residence uh, like that? Uh, because I, from that, I kind of get it. You know, if I'm in Nova Scotia and I'm a really talented 16 or 17-year-old and my options are playing in the Maritime Junior Hockey League, which no offense to anybody from out there that's listening, uh, or potentially going to play in Brooks or Penticton or something like that, a program that has a proven track record of being able to to really develop players and get them onto the NCAA and then potentially pro, uh, pro hockey. I could see why that would be interesting to me if I'm that kid in Nova Scotia, but right now you can't. Uh, so those guys are ending up going to the USHL. I'd prefer to keep those guys in Canada, Tim. Is is that maybe the the one uh, thing that everybody could possibly agree on, and and that would be the where the solution comes in? I I would think that would be the easiest solution, uh, but I don't know if Hockey Canada wants to go for that. I yeah. mean that's uh, but but you're right. I mean I in the end, I mean, I mean the Alberta Junior Hockey League and, and junior hockey recruiting is is based on relationships, you know, largely at least it was, and so. If, if you can forge a relationship with, like you say, a kid in in Quebec uh, to to come play in Alberta at at seventeen year old seventeen years old, and and the parents are fine with it, and everything is okay with it, it's almost like, well, what? Why not? And and so and then then it puts you know it puts you on not equal footing with with the Western Hockey League or the CHL, but it gives you a, a bit more of a leg up that you know maybe a kid. Instead of going to the to the Western Hockey League at, at 17, says, "Well, yeah, you know, I I maybe want to come to play for the Brooks Bandits in Alberta if I'm, but I'm in Saskatchewan, so I can't do it right now. And then I get my path to the NHL through the NCAA, right. and I get there anyway. So, yeah, I I think that would be the easiest solution. But I just I don't know if there's an impetus for Hockey Canada to make those changes at this point." And uh, I, I don't know if there's without that. I don't know if the Alberta Junior Hockey League wants to wants to go against them. So, yeah, if, if we could take a pen and, and write that in, I I think it might make everybody happy. Well, geez, I would just give uh, Hockey Canada a list, and it would start with Owen Power, and it would go with Adam Fantilli, all these kids uh, from Canada that went to the USHL. Uh, wouldn't you rather have them yep. playing in Canada somewhere? Tim, exactly. uh, tell me about this season, I guess, from the Camrose Kodiak's perspective. I mean, standing-wise, it doesn't look like it's been a great year, although suddenly they're five spots higher than they were, uh, you know, a week ago in the standings. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Play- playoffs, here we come. <laughs> Whatever the playoff system might look like. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's been, uh, I mean, it's been a bit of a tough year, but it's been a, a whole transition for this Camrose Kodiak's organization. I mean, uh, uh, Boris Rabalka, the longtime coach in GM, is is gone. It's it's a new coaching staff from pretty much uh, head to toe. Although Doug Fleck, who coached with uh, Boris Rabalka for so many years, is now back behind the bench as an assistant. But uh, you know, Derek Martin has, has taken over there, and he's the new coach and general manager. They have a new office staff, uh, almost a whole new board at the top, and and they made a decision to to go with a lot of seventeen year olds themselves, and and you know they're not. 
not the high-end 17-year-olds, I guess. They're not like a, a Logan Sawyer or Teo Pizzani or Ryan Zaremba, the seasons they're having, but they're they're good 17-year-olds, but they haven't found their footing yet. And I, I expect this team in the next year or two are going to take some big steps. But they, they decided to go young this year and, and a whole bunch of changes, and so they're – they're treading water this year, I think, but uh, but I think they're going in the right direction, and, and we'll try to get back to those uh, those big years that that they've been known for so for so many years back in the in the two thousands. Yeah, sure. it doesn't seem like it was all that long ago, back uh, Mike Connolly days and uh, Joel Colburn and guys like that, where the the Kodiaks were dominating. Boris behind the bench, man, Tim, you've been there so long. How many years have you been behind the mic now? Well, I started in the, in that old seven oh eight year, so it's uh, I guess this would be the seventeenth season, I believe that that I've uh, that I've done it, and and yeah, I I jumped in that first year with like you say, Mike Connolly, uh, Joe Colburn, Jesse Todd, all those guys, uh, Alan York, and yeah. uh, boom, uh, won the Alberta Junior Hockey League Championship, was which was their fifth in seven years, and then the, went to Cornwall and played in the in the uh, the uh, RBC Cup back then, and we're within probably two seconds of, of tying that final game and lost one nothing to Humboldt. And I thought, uh, geez, this is pretty good. This is fun. <laughs> I'd like to do this every year. Haven't got back there again, but <laughs> those were those were some great teams back there back then. But it's uh, it's been fun, and I'm uh, just uh, just looking forward to, to getting back to those days here in the in the near distant future. Hopefully, yeah. So let's hope that's uh, sooner as opposed to later. Tim, this has been really great for the uh, listeners' benefit. Though we're up late doing this, and you were able to make time for me, I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll chat again. I hope. Sounds good. Anytime. There's Tim Ellis, the uh, voice of the Camrose Kodiaks. And uh, during this is how fluid the situation is during that conversation or right before it. I hadn't seen it yet, but as he mentioned, the uh, five teams that are leaving the AJHL did make a social media uh, post. I'll read it quickly. Our five teams remain members in good standing of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Hockey Alberta, and Hockey Canada. We have not entered into any agreement to leave any of these organizations, nor have we made any announcement to that effect. We have full intention of fulfilling our commitments to each of these bodies for the remainder of this season, both the regular and the postseason. We do not agree that any AJHL game should be cancelled or postponed. We share in the public's disappointment in the current situation. We strongly believe that our players should be back on the ice playing and competing for an inter-pipeline cup, and we will do everything we can to bring this unfortunate situation to a positive resolution that, signed by the Spruce Grove Saints, the Brooks Bandits, the Sherwood Park Crusaders, the Okotoks Oilers, and the Blackfalds Bulldogs. There's so many variables to this uh, entire story, and so many things the public is unaware of, behind-the-scenes stuff, regulations, rules, bylaws, stuff I have no clue of. And I would be talking out of my ass if I tried to make it sound like I was some sort of authority figure on exactly why these teams are doing this, why the BCHL did what they did, and why the AJHL is reacting that they the way they are. As somebody tweeted at me earlier, uh, Browner at Brown7Cow says, So I agree with both the teams and the AJHL's response. Now what do I do? I'm kind of in that same situation. I don't know that there's... A villain in this story, I can see why the teams would want to leave. I can see why the AJHL is upset that it was announced during the middle of a season. I can understand why players and agents and families would be upset. 
I could see why the 11 remaining teams, maybe they want those five teams to be done for the year. I don't, I don't know, but it is a messy, messy situation. I don't know how it's going to get resolved. And I am completely open to hearing opinions on this one because I don't have my mind made up. I'm trying to figure it out like most people. So I want to hear your perspective. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. At TPS underscore Guy is where you can find me there. Well, I really appreciate Tim shedding uh, some light on the situation because I didn't want to get into the weekend without uh, having talked about it to some degree. So I appreciate him making time. And uh, yes, when we had that conversation, it was like 11 p.m. on Thursday. So he really went over and above uh, to be available for me, which I appreciate. All right, that is going to wrap up this week's episode. A few irons in the fire for next week. As always, I will try to uh, have somebody who is draft eligible on the program. I'm sure there will be more developments in this uh, situation with the uh, five teams leaving the AJ for the BCHL. Will they be back playing this weekend? At this point, I don't know. By the time this episode comes out, there may be whole new developments that come in at the last minute. I don't know. It's just uh, such a volatile situation. So I'm sure we'll be keeping tabs on that. But there are also games on the ice being played in uh, the WHL and the OHL in the queue, south in the USHL, the NAL, of course, college hockey. So lots of things that we can talk about. We'll do all of that next week. So I hope between now and then you can get out and watch some junior college hockey so that you can join the conversation. We can talk about it together. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. And my name is Keith Flaming. See ya! See ya!